0: What a beautiful declaration of faith. God, we need you is probably the the most honest song that we sing. God, we need you, desperate for your power. And it actually leads us perfectly into what we're talking about today in Luke chapter 7. We are continuing to look at the life of Jesus in the gospel of Luke. And we're getting to a section of scripture that answers some really important issues that we may have. And if you don't have them now, it's likely that you've had them in the past, and if you've never felt this way, it's likely you might feel this way in the future. Have you ever come to church, or maybe you've been in a small group, you've been around other Christians, and you think, what is wrong with me? All these other people, they seem to really love God. Like, they seem to be really passionate about God. They seem to be devoted to God. They seem to be genuinely moved when they're talking about Jesus. Like, why do I feel indifferent? Why does my heart sometimes feel cold towards God? Why, doesn't it, why isn't God moving me like it seems like he moves others? I was thinking about this analogy, you know what a balloon looks like, like three days after your birthday party, where it's like, at one point, that balloon was flying high. And you're like, wow, what a beautiful looking balloon for the party. Three days later, it's kind of like floating like a foot above the ground in the corner. I wonder if our faith feels like that sometime, like at one point we were going and now you're looking at the balloon, and you're like, is there any air left in that balloon? Maybe we would never admit it, but sometimes we feel like the Grinch of Crossroads Christian Church. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. And I think sometimes we can come to church and feel that way. It's like that guy's heart... Their heart, they see, it seems to be like three times bigger than mine. Like where does that capacity for devotion and love and worship come from? You know you should feel thankful, but you don't. You know you should want to worship God, but sometimes you just go through the motions. You know you should give and sacrifice and love and serve, but sometimes it feels like the passion has grown Cold, So I wonder if that's you this afternoon. And if it is, I first want to say, you're not alone. You are not alone. I've been there. We all have probably been there. And second, I want us to see very clearly that Jesus gives a path out of it. In fact, Jesus gives a very clear path to growing our hearts. To seeing a cold, dead heart be revived with love and devotion and worship. Which leads us to Luke chapter 7. Luke 7 verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Okay, let me pause here and just lay out the scene that we have. We have two main characters besides Jesus. First, we have Simon. Simon was a Pharisee. And just as a reminder, the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders who were very serious about the law, about the rules, and about the traditions. And the Pharisees did not like Jesus very much. In fact, when we look at the gospel, the Pharisees were the ones most often in conflict with Jesus. So in the scriptures, we actually don't see these private moments between Jesus and the Pharisees very often. We see it only one other time, Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he goes to visit Jesus by night. Why? Because the Pharisees and Jesus didn't get along. So we have this guy, Simon. He had to be a bit open-minded because he was inviting Jesus into his house. Maybe he was curious, maybe he thought there was something to this whole Jesus business, so he invites Jesus over. Second, you have a woman. She is not identified by her name, but by her reputation. She is, quote, a woman of the city, and quote, a sinner. Now this is most most likely Scholars tell us this means that she was most likely a prostitute, and everyone in the town knew it. In those days, I think sometimes we read this passage in historical context. is really helpful because you're like, if somebody busted in my apartment during a dinner party and sat with one of my guests, that would be really weird. But in those days, a dinner party would have been a public affair. So the doors would have been open, the guests would have been reclining at table, kind of laying down their feet away from the table, and people from the street would walk in and they'd um, stand around the edges and listen to the conversation. And we can assume that this lady had heard Jesus teach before because... This is not the first time. She's already received that love and forgiveness and grace. She's heard the message, repent and believe, and she's taken up Jesus on the offer, and now she hears Jesus is coming to town. She's like, now is my chance to pour out devotion, thankfulness, worship to Christ who saved me, but to do so, she would have to walk into the Pharisee's house. She knew the Pharisees did not approve of her. She knew she would not be welcomed in that place. But she has this beautiful moment of courage. She steps into the room. Her plan is to anoint Jesus' feet with ointment. But the story, and it seems like she can't even get to that place. She starts to weep. She sees Christ and she begins to weep and the tears fall on Jesus' feet and she lets down her hair, which was another no-no in those days. Women, in fact, never let their hair down unless they were in private in their own homes. She lets her hair down, begins washing Christ's feet with her tears. And she knows that's not acceptable in in that day, in that culture. She doesn't care. Verse 39 Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So you can kind of see Simon's posture here for a moment. Excuse me. You can kind of tell Simon's posture here. He's checking Jesus out. He's sizing Jesus up and he has this thought. He's like, aha, I see who Jesus is. Either he's not really a prophet. Either he doesn't know very much because if he did, he would know that this woman is a sinner. Or maybe he does know and maybe this Jesus guy just has a really low bar of holiness. Either way, this is not good. I don't know which one is worse for the Pharisees, but this is not good. But I love this. Jesus here responds to Simon's thoughts. This had to be one of the most frustrating parts of hanging out with Jesus. You're at a dinner party, maybe you're at a buffet with Jesus, and you think to yourself, oh Jesus, that's a pretty big portion. Save some for the rest of us. And he like looks at you across the room, and he's like, man shall not eat of bread alone. You know, it's like, get out of my head. That's what I think when I read this text. Um, So he's answering his thoughts. He's like, no, 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 Simon, don't question my power. I I see the situation. I know this woman. I know you, Simon. Verse 41. A certain, this is the parable he's telling to to the Pharisee. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, You have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Do you see the dynamics at play in the story? We have the extravagant love and devotion and worship of this woman. But then the other side, we have the the stinginess The bitterness, the accusations of Simon the Pharisee, and in between them both, you have Jesus and this shocking acceptance and grace. Verse 48 And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, Your faith has saved you, go in peace. This is one of the most beautiful and powerful encounters that we have in all of the Gospels. And it shows us the path that all of us can take to a transformed heart. What do we do with a cold, dead heart? This shows us the path. We're going to see honest need, free grace, and then transforming power. First... We need to honestly admit need. The first step on our heart journey is acknowledging our need. And that is probably the hardest step. None of us want to admit that we need anything. We like to portray the air of self-sufficiency. I got things handled. I can take care of it. I don't need anyone else. I think I'm decently good. And one of the major questions that this passage forces us to ask is who needs forgiveness? On the surface, we'd say, well, of course, the woman needs forgiveness. She had the sins that everyone knew about and everyone saw. And of course, that would be true. She did. But what about Simon, the Pharisee? the socially acceptable one, the highly educated one, the religious one, does he need forgiveness too? And on the surface, we may think in this verse 47 that Jesus is saying, oh, well, her sins are many and his sins were not. Let's read this. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much, but he who's forgiven little loves little. But Jesus is not saying that her sins were many, and she needed a lot of forgiveness, and his sins were small, so he needed a little bitty forgiveness. That's not what the parable means. In fact, what he's saying is if there's two debtors, one owes $50, one owes $500, you know what doesn't matter? If, they, if neither of them can pay, they're on the same footing, Right, if you owe $50, and if you owe $500, and the debt is canceled, like you both were in the same position. And that's part of what he wants to tell the Pharisee. You think you don't need anything from me. You think you have nothing for me to forgive. But let me tell you, you're bankrupt. You can't pay. Even if it's a little bit, you can't pay. So Pharisee had a good upbringing. Highly educated, socially acceptable. He knew how to hide his sin. He knew how to sin in socially acceptable ways to project an image of having it all together. And it's as if Jesus says, yeah, the woman needs forgiveness and she has it. But what about you? Is it right for you to be so stingy? Is it right for you to be so rude? Is it right for you to be so judgmental? Is it right for you to be so proud? He looks at Simon and he's like, you know what your problem is, Simon? You don't think I can offer you anything that you can't do for yourself. You don't think I can do for you anything you cannot do for yourself. Therefore, you view me as an accessory to your already great life. You think maybe I could be a great teacher, give you some pointers. You think perhaps I'm a prophet Tell you something helpful. She views me as savior. And those things are totally different. You come to savior in need of saving. And Simon missed it. Simon's shriveled heart came from a diminished sense of his own need The woman's huge heart for God came because she knew she needed him. She knew her need for grace and her heart was on fire with love. I was listening to an interview this week. It was by a a very well-known Christian singer. And he was telling the story of his alcoholism and how it took him really hitting rock bottom and being able to honestly, openly, share his need, that he finally found help and healing. And this guy, this artist, he wrote an album kind of telling his story. And one of the songs stood out to me. and I want to read this to you. He says this, Lord, I'm tired from all this hiding. Lord, I'm weary from my pretending. So if the real me is what you're wanting, all my running, it has to end I'll take down all my defenses. I'll let down my guard. Let you break through every pretense, every wall around my heart. I'll show you who I really am so you can show me who you really are. You see, the only way we encounter the real God is if we come as the real us. When we actually, for a moment, just tear down all the things we've learned from when we were kids to build the walls and project confidence and we're good, you're good, we're all good. I'm, I'm certainly fine, you're fine, we're fine. Just to tear it all down and be like, no God, actually here is who I really am. I gotta be honest with you, I gotta be honest with myself, I gotta be honest with those around me because I'm never gonna find you, the savior of the world, if I don't need, thing, I need saving. And we see these moments all throughout the gospel where you see these people who are vulnerable and they come to Jesus and it's like in this moment they're exposed, here is the God of the universe right in front of me, he sees right through me, he sees at the bottom of my heart, he knows all about my past, he knows all about what's going on in my life. What happens when you are exposed before a holy God? And we see in the Gospels that, in fact, being exposed before a holy God is the safest place in all of the universe. Because Christ sees you to the bottom. And he still says, I love you. Come near. There's a great children's book by the name of uh, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. It's a dialogue between a boy, a mole, a fox, and a horse. And there's this scene where the boy is talking to the horse, and this is what he says. When have you been at your strongest? Asked the boy. When I have dared to show my weakness. Answered the horse. When we are weak, God shows himself to be strong, but when we pretend to be strong, we miss out on the power of God. The irony in this passage is that the woman who is weeping at the feet of Jesus is actually in a better position than the Pharisee. She is the stronger one in this story. Though she appears the weak one. Question this afternoon for us is Are we willing to be honest with ourselves, honest with others, and honest with God? Really honest. Show you who I really am because I want to see who you really are, God. That's the first step. We can't skip it. We'd all like to skip that one, but we can't. Second, we receive free grace receive free grace. There's a story about C.S. Lewis, he was an Oxford Don, and um, he was walking around the campus and he walked into a classroom and there was a group of professors who were all debating the differences between the world religions, and they had these lists on the board, pros and cons, and what all the different religions taught, and they knew that C.S. Lewis was a Christian, so they said, okay, tell us, what is the difference? What is unique about Christianity? And as the story goes, he grabbed the the chalk and he wrote one word, grace. In every other world religion, acceptance before God is given because of how good you do. You did a great job keeping the rules, the traditions, the laws, so you are in. Christianity, though, is based on grace. Acceptance is not based on how you perform. Acceptance is based on a free gift. God gives it to you freely. You can't earn it. And sometimes that frustrates us, and at times it thrills our hearts. Grace. And in this passage, we see the grace of God in all these parables of forgiveness. Forgiveness of, for our sin. And we say, "How? How is God able to give grace and forgiveness for free? How is He able to do that?" It seems like the Pharisees have the same question. Verse verse forty-nine: "Who is this?" They say, "Who even forgives sins?" That is a great question. They're getting at something. Who is this? This guy thinks he can forgive sins. And this is what drove the Pharisees crazy because all throughout Jesus's life, he would forgive sins that people committed before God. And they knew that by doing that, Jesus was claiming to be God because you can't forgive other people's sins, right? Like if somebody comes up after the service and punches me square in the nose. And then Kyle yells out, he's like, I forgive you. I'd be like, whoa. (laughs) that's on me, you know, I I can either forgive or not, you know, but you can't forgive something that's not done against you. So all these people have done sins against God and Jesus is like, I forgive you. And the Pharisees are like, time out. This cannot be. But more than who can forgive sins, how can Jesus freely forgive sins, right? Who is going to pay the debt? Forgiveness is costly. We all know that. And the metaphor in this passage is about debt cancellation. But when a debt is canceled, somebody still has to pay. Who paid the debt for this woman? Who paid for the forgiveness? If someone tonight, you know, went out to the parking lot and saw my beat up van and they, they uh, <laughs> bumped into it and dented the already dented door. I have two choices. I can make that person pay for the damage that they have done, or I can forgive them. But if I forgive them, who pays? I do, right? The, 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 the debt doesn't go away, the price doesn't go away. I just choose to pay it, and they can go free. That's the idea of forgiveness. And the question remains, okay, so Jesus forgives sins, but how is Jesus paying for this woman's sins? How does she get free grace? And to answer that question, of course, we have to fast forward the story. Right after Luke chapter 7, in the the chapters that come, we're going to see Jesus turn his face towards Jerusalem. And he is going to head to the cross. And on the cross... Jesus is going to cry out as he suffers under the weight of injustice. He's going to cry out, It is finished. The debt that you owed has been paid in full. Therefore, you can go free. Jesus never minimizes our sin. He never sweeps it under the rug. He doesn't say, well, it's really not that bad. No, he takes it seriously, so seriously, that it leads him to the cross. But... At the same time, the beauty of the cross is Jesus was able to pay, our, pay for our sin, but at the same time, draw near to us. You see this woman, she's a beautiful picture. Her sins were forgiven, Jesus will pay for them. By the same time, there's this nearness and this intimacy and this closeness. He says, your sins are forgiven. I don't think he was forgiving them at that moment. I think they were already forgiven and he's reassuring him. They really are forgiven. You really are free. So, the question this afternoon I want to ask for this point is Have we received that gift? Have we received it? Are we still trying to pay it ourselves? Have we received it? Third, the third step in this process of reviving our hearts, to be honest with our need which leads us to receive God's grace and forgiveness, and then we walk in his transforming power. You see, what happens when the grace of God comes into a human life, it comes into our hearts and sets the thing on fire, right? It's like a And it's not all at once, it's a process, but all of a sudden the gospel just brings new life into our hearts that begins to grow and begins to transform us from the inside out. This woman is likely a very new follower of Jesus. She has not been doing this very long, but she already is demonstrating the power of Christ's transformation. She's already one of the best pictures of worship in the gospels. So what, what happened? What changes did she see? First, notice her full-hearted worship. She did not come with reservations. She did not come with conditions. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I think if you make sure you don't do this, you don't do that, As long as you're with me on these things, then I'm probably in. She comes with no reservations, no conditions, with her full self before God. I just can imagine this woman. She finds out Jesus is coming. She has been rescued and saved by Jesus. She thinks, now is my chance to honor him. What, What can I bring? Well, I have this alabaster flask of ointment It's my most valuable possession. I know what I could do. I could pour it out on his feet to honor him. I could kiss his feet. I could tell him I love him. Can you believe what Jesus has done for me? I've never experienced anything like it before. Real grace, real forgiveness, real peace, real salvation. When I was at my worst, he did not condemn me. He loved me, he forgave me, he blessed me. How can I honor him? Because he is worthy. I'm not, I'm not coming to play around, Jesus. I, he's coming to town. I'm coming to worship with all that I am. You see, Simon had this standoffish nature to Jesus. Like, I'm just gonna check things out for a while with Jesus. And it led to him being detached But this woman came all, she went all in. And it led to her heart being lit on fire with adoration. Here's the question. Which type of worship describes us today? Which type, which type of heart looks like ours? Is it the woman or is it Simon's? And I'm not talking about being physically demonstrative, right? Sometimes people are like, yeah, maybe I should lift my hands. Maybe you know I should kneel, or maybe like some people look really excited. I know we come from different traditions and bi- different backgrounds, and you do things different way. I'm not talking about physical posture. I'm talking about heart posture. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about real emotion. Do you love Jesus? Doesn't matter how you show it, but do you feel it? Do you love Jesus, or are we kind of just like bored with Jesus? And we're like, yeah. We sing these songs. They look pumped. I'm not really that pumped about it. Maybe we've forgotten what he's done for us. Second, we see in the woman her satisfaction. And this is a beautiful part of the story. I just have to point out. She breaks open this bottle of perfume on Jesus' feet, and this would have been something she used to make herself more attractive. Right? It would have been one of the things that she did to... um, uh, to, to basically say, here I am. Here's my, I'm valuable. Look at me. I am, am worthy. But in since she, she finds Christ. She's like, I don't need this anymore. I do not need this anymore. No, I have found real love. I have actually found real satisfaction. The love of Christ has filled me in such a way. I no longer need this. Oh, and he does that for us. Like maybe in your life, you have had these moments where you said, man, I really thought this would make me satisfied. Man, I thought this job, then I spent three weeks at that job and I said, nope, that's definitely not it. Or maybe I thought it was money and I, then I got the money and, I, and then I, that worked for maybe a couple months. And then I said, no, that's not it either. So I got the relationship and that didn't really work for very long either. They ended up driving me crazy. And I'm going through the circles. What in the world is going to make me satisfied? And then maybe you found Christ and you're like, I, this is not perfect, I get it. But my soul is content in him. This is the thing. And that's what happens for the woman and that's what happens with us. Next, you notice her freedom, her freedom. She lets her hair down and she does not care. She's vulnerable, she's open, she's courageous. She comes before Christ, she says, I don't care what you have to say. I know you all have comments about me and what I've done and who I am and what I'm doing. I do not care, I am free. Christ has accepted me. I'm letting my hair down, and I'm worshiping. Do we have that type of freedom? And finally, let's just notice at the end of the passage, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. When the gospel comes alive in our heart, there's a peace with ourselves, There's a peace with others and ultimately there is a peace with God. There is no longer enmity. There's no longer conflict. There is peace with the God who made us and this woman had it. And we can have it too. It's available to all of us. Wonder this afternoon where where you're at on the path. Maybe you need to be the one who honestly sings a song that we sang But we we need, I really need you. I've been putting up these walls. Maybe this afternoon you need to be the ones that I need to receive. I need to come to God with open hands and receive from him. The grace of God has become theoretical in my head. I believe it on paper and in theory. But I need actually to experience the grace and forgiveness of Christ afresh today. Or maybe you're in here and you're saying, I actually, this freedom you're talking about, this love, this revival of heart, I need that transformation. So God, here are some of the areas I'm laying before you. Would you revive them? Would you give me the love and worship and devotion that maybe I once had, maybe I never had. But now I'm seeing Christ clearly and I want to respond appropriately. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the example of this woman. One of the greatest worship leaders in the Bible. God, we pray that we would learn from her. To be free like her. To be courageous like her. To be generous like her. Father, I pray for those who have needs today. God, we pray that we be honest with them. For those who need grace today, would you pour it out in abundance? And God, for all of us, we want our hearts to be transformed to be worshipers. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.